Welcome to the Mining and Markets Podcast hosted by Synergy Capital, your source for finding opportunity in the junior mining and resources space, one voice at a time. And welcome back to another episode of the Mining and Markets Podcast hosted by Synergy Capital. Joining me today is the CEO of Copper Corp Resources, which trades on the Venture Exchange under symbol CPER. Mr. Stephen Swatton. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you're probably busy preparing for your trip to Tasmania later, so thank you for allowing some time to chat with me about Copper Corp. Oh, great. No, happy to be here. Thanks very much, Aline. Let's jump right into it because there's quite a bit to uncover here. You know, look, Stephen, I love the story. I've been recently doing some research on Copper Corp, and I figured it would be a great time to have you on the show, especially with the addition of your new Razorback project, which we'll eventually get into. I think the best way to kick off this episode is by you giving a brief introduction to the story and what the main focus is. It's uh, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, Venture Exchange. What um, we have is um, 1,800 square kilometers of copper-rich mineralization in Western Tasmania. And it's in what's called an iron oxide copper gold. And what we're doing is we're exploring two of the main zones, one on the western side, which is an older group of rocks, and one on the eastern side, which is slightly younger. They are slightly different in their morphology and, and the genesis, but fundamentally, we're a copper company based in Tasmania. I'm looking for more copper deposits, and I say we've got the dominant position in this part of Tasmania. In fact, we have 2% of the land area of Tasmania. Cool. Let's discuss these copper results that you guys were putting out recently from the program, which I, I believe is finished now. Uh, Steve, I'd be interested to know how this program went from your perspective. You know, how many meters were drilled on this program and what were the expectations for us? What was the reality of these results? We drilled up to about 6,000 meters, close to 6,000 meters now on, on two particular properties. One is called the Alpi and the other one is called Dorel. And they're two distinctly different copper deposits that we have or copper showings I should say that we have and and the former of the two the alpine uh, we drilled in an area which had been partially drilled in the past and we drilled about 4,200 meters I think a bit a little bit more than that and what we discovered was more of the same mineralization they had before which is up to two percent copper we were beginning to find that we had the better grades at depth say 300 meters plus so armed with the knowledge that obviously it costs a lot more to drill at those depths, we started looking around at the other properties that we had as well. We're defining internally a, a small resource, but we're not doing any resource studies as such, but internally we're looking at it and it may be a big company play on this Western Alpine zone on the on the Western side called the Alpine zone. But we picked up this Razorback property, as you mentioned earlier, which is a slightly different animal. It's a slightly different kind of iron oxide copper gold. And it's more like something possibly that they have in uh, Western Chile, a uh, location called Candelaria, which is a hybrid type, which is iron oxide copper gold hybrid with uh, porphyry. And in these, you often get rare earths. In fact, rare earths are very common ICGs in any case. But we've had our eye on this property for a couple of years. And we wanted in a bidding sort of scenario with the government. And uh, yeah, we're going to be drilling it later this year. 
Okay, so I, I want to take a step back on the rare earths before we get into it. I want to kind of mm -hmm. go over some of the copper stuff first. You know, was there any historical drilling done and what was the focus on this campaign? How were the targets identified? Yeah, uh, largely identified on, on geophysics. This is on the western side, the Alpine was, was largely based on geophysics with some previous drilling that had been done by a junior company like ourselves, Australian based. And we essentially went in and went along strike from where they had drilled in the past. The second property, which is called Dora, it's a brand new property slightly different geology and because it was a little more remote than the previous one i mentioned we had to take a helicopter in but only as much as any new project in tasmania you need to go in by helicopter because they don't want you building roads into an area which possibly might not have anything but this mineralization that we found at the dora property was relatively low ground 0.18 percent copper but we had a couple of intersections which were quite significant in, in terms of their width, but we think we might have actually hit the edge of a larger body. But unfortunately, we couldn't move the rig because the weather was um, pretty inclement at the time. We couldn't actually move it to a second and third site that we had in mind. So it's sitting there waiting for us to do more drilling, but it's probably an extension of the Razorback. And it's an exciting area that had been discovered in the late 1800s but had lain undrilled, but had some good copper grades at surface. So look, um, we have about 80 kilometers of this type of mineralization now, and we've only just really started prosecuting it. Okay, so you know, you guys have quite a bit of cash in the bank, you have about 5 million to my understanding, is the focus now building upon these grades and going deeper? Um, or are you guys going to move on to the next project, which you've alluded to with Razorback? Uh, we're going to concentrate on Razorback for now. I mean, when we have actually applied for this project, Aleem, um, rare earths weren't quite a political hot potato, if you like. And now with the discussion at various government levels around the supply and the production of rare earths, it's becoming quite topical that certain countries in the world have quite a bit of rare earths. And one in particular, China is 70% of the production. It's 70% of the exploration and, and mining, and it's 90% of the production. And rare earths are used in all sorts of magnetic, high-end magnetic, and all sorts of machinery that cannot be actually at this, at this time replicated. So these rare earths are going to become more, I, I would imagine, sought after going forward. For example, in America, there's only one location, uh, Mountain Pass, which is, produces them, and there's a few other areas. But the fact that we've actually discovered them at all, and they were discovered from previous drilling, but the previous operator didn't actually analyze for all of the different types of rare earth, not really, I guess, understanding what the value of certain of them are. And we have the higher value, heavier rare earths within this deposit. We have no idea whether we can actually you know, this is going to be going to become economic or not, but the signs are good at this stage. And that also has copper and gold. So we have copper, gold and rare earths. And going back to your question, yes, it's going to be the focus of us this year. As we all know, the markets have tanked at the moment. We do have a good cash position and we kind of have to focus our efforts on this particular property right now, simply because we don't want to get to the situation where we start going extremely low on cash. Okay, and historically, from my understanding, there was what a two percent total rare earth mm -hmm. oxide on the Razorback, and is this neodymium and praseodymium? Because you did mention that these are heavy rare yeah. earths. 
That's right. Half a percent of that 2% is the heavier rare earths. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's a good start, but look, there's a lot of fine details when it comes to rare earths, how you can produce them, how do you concentrate them, how you can actually liberate the rare earths. And we're just getting into the into the weeds, if you like, at the moment and trying to work everything out. But uh, yes, we've hired a, an expert in this field in Australia. I mean, we're exploration experts, but we're certainly not production experts. And so we're getting some help as to what this all means, whether this is something that is something that we, we're going to focus on going forward to a, a larger extent. I mean, we do have about two and a half square kilometers of mineralization very similar to that drill hole intersection. So if it is, in in fact, you know, the higher grade material, we got quite a lot of it. And we've actually discovered, or, or there has been discovered in the past, 16% rare earths at surface. And this area has never been drilled before. So look, the indications are good, but I don't want to allude to the fact that we're onto something massive we just don't know at this stage it's early days right and and like you said i know you know the thing with rare earths is that the separation the recovery the processing that's kind of the ultimate challenge i mean like i've seen with other projects in the past it becomes quite costly and challenging on the economic kind of viability side unless the prices of these rare earths increase i mean do you see neodymium and praseodymium and other rare earths increasing and what's going to drive that if you do well, it will always be the supply and demand type situation. I mean, we've seen that uh, China and uh, Malaysia have restricted some of the exports of some of their rare earths. And even though both of those elements have come off more recently, there is the feeling that there's only so many places in the world. So uh, other areas are Myanmar, and that's you know got its political challenges right now. There is Russia, uh, again, political challenges. And then there's Australia. So Australia is looking pretty good. So I have a feeling that if we have anything close to something that could be recoverable, look, I imagine we've become quite the focus of attention for particularly some of the majors that are more interested in maybe getting into this this very hot space, uh, which rare earths. Great. You know, is it maybe a possibility that this project will eventually become the flagship property and the company will start to focus and kind of hone in directly on rare earths as opposed to copper? Or is the focus still going to be majority copper? Uh, for now, it's still on copper, but we certainly will be looking at this. Like you got to, one of the one of the points of actually having this is that within this, we had, you know, 1.2% copper and half a gram gold as well. So it's not as if we're going away from copper. It's almost like having a bit of icing on the cake with the rare earths. But I, I you know, I'm just doing the full disclaimer we don't know quite what it means it is a a copper gold system so yes Aline, we still are focusing on copper but if we have one area of this uh, intrusive which has got more levels of rare earths of course we'll probably refocus that because then the actual value per ton of the rock will go up significantly okay let's switch focus a little bit i want to talk a little bit about the share structure and maybe some of the the team members i know there there's some notable names on there if you could give some detail into that yeah we have 66 million shares out we have no warrants um outstanding it's a pretty tight structure 24% is owned by insiders. And some of the larger shareholders are some of the more well-known uh, larger investors in, in Vancouver. Uh, I'll just drop one name. We have uh, Ross Beatty, who's on the, on the share list. And we have a bunch of other A-list type investors. So this is what the original premise was to go in. And you're right, we have a good group of people. One of them is Doug Kerwin. Doug Kerwin was one of the co-discoverers of one of the ore bodies at Oyutorgoi and was Friedland, Robert Friedland's Ivanhoe's vice president of exploration. Now he's he's the senior advisor and somebody that I actually know quite well, very well actually. I mean, he and I uh, cross paths a lot. 
And he was the one who identified this area as being of particular significance because he'd worked at Savage River for Ivanhoe and recognized a bunch of copper showings around it, which is not dissimilar to something I worked on when I was a young geologist in northern Sweden. Sweden, the Karuna deposit, is a huge iron ore deposit with a bunch of small copper mines around it. And so, you know, the premise was to go in, take a whole package of rocks which would appeal to a major which we've now done and then kind of systematically in uh go in and, and explore each and each of these anomalies now we have over 22 anomalies and we've only just looked at four so far so there's a there's a lot to be going on but the others in the company craig roberts has got a very strong corporate finance background he used to be the ceo of newfound gold and him and i um, used to be analysts way, way back. And look, he's a mining engineer by background. I'm a, I'm a geologist. And then others on the board are, are, are mainly of the technical focus. I mean, they've worked in Southeast Asia. They've worked in this type of porphyry environment that we have, porphyry IOC environment. And we're keeping it tight at the moment in terms of bringing new people on. We're trying to save costs. We're trying to scale back from a, a massive, aggressive program. But we are ostensibly a technically focused company with people who can actually raise the money when we need it. Great. So, you know, with a good share structure, which you guys have and a quite an impressive team and cash in the bank, what's the plan moving forward and some catalysts that investors can look forward to? Yeah, as you quite rightly said in the preamble, I'm flying to Tasmania tonight and um, we're going to have a board meeting. The first one, we've all sat around the table at once. We've all sat down individually, but not as a group and decide whether we're going to go for the size of the program that we go go for on, on Razorback. And I, I won't give it away, but it, you know, it's either going to be something that is is kind of a light end or the aggressive end. And we've got to weigh up everything. The markets in the last few months, as you well know, have, have dived atrociously. So we have to be somewhat cognizant that on the one hand, to deliver shareholder growth, it's not only finding a stellar hole, if that's, obviously that's what we're looking for, but also to preserve capital, which seems to be quite significant like at the moment with us sitting close to five million in the bank uh one person commented to me the other day that's worth 50 million in in today's market environment for raising capital so look uh, we're just trying to balance the expectations of the shareholders with the depleting um treasury great Stephen. thank you so much for your time today i'm excited to see the project move forward and i hope to speak with you soon great let's let's touch base later and thank you very much thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode and remember to follow us on social media, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This episode should not be considered investment advice. Always do your own due diligence.